Well, it's a cold start to a Tuesday morning. Hopefully the vehicle plugged in overnight and uh, went for you today. I, I can't even believe we're actually talking about this extreme cold weather. Now, on a normal year, late February, who would be shocked about plugging in the vehicle, letting it warm up in the morning before you go to work? I mean, that's, hey, that's Saskatchewan. But this year, we haven't been living a very normal winter. And so... You know, the fact that we've been enjoying beautiful temperatures and now all of a sudden in the deep freeze, even though for a short time, we just got to get used to it. We're from Saskatchewan, right? We can't be surprised by it. Well, across Canada, we've been talking about and dealing with an affordable housing crisis. Housing prices have skyrocketed in recent years. There's simply not enough houses available for the number of people who live in our country. How did we get here? And how are we getting ourselves out of this? I mean, those are the conversations that are happening at multiple levels in multiple different areas. My next guest is someone who is trying to figure that out. In fact, is advising a lot of people who are working on this problem every day. Dr. Mike Moffat is a guy who wears a lot of different hats. He's the Senior Director of Policy and Innovation at the Smart Prosperity Institute. He's an assistant professor in the business, economics, and public policy group at Western University's Ivy Business School. And he's a guy who basically has spent a lot of time coming up with potential solutions for the affordable housing crisis that we're facing in this nation. Dr. Mike Moffat joins us from Ottawa this morning. Dr. Moffat, thanks so much for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. So what sparked your interest in the affordable housing crisis that we're currently experiencing? You've spent a lot of time prior to having these discussions with leaders just thinking about and and finding and manifesting ways that this country can address this crisis. What drove you to that passion? Yeah, it was uh, kind of a circular route that uh, got me here. My my background is more in manufacturing and innovation, and we were doing work almost a decade ago uh, with the manufacturers uh, in the GTA near Pearson Airport and along the 401 in southern Ontario about their labor shortages. And you know, in our roundtables, we kept hearing over and over that you know they couldn't find anybody to work in the plants because they couldn't find anybody who could afford to live in the GTA. So that kind of piqued my interest. Going, okay, you know maybe we've we've got a real problem here. That you know yes, there's an affordability issue, but it's you know really harming the economy in, in southern Ontario when we have all of these you know great automotive jobs and, and other industries, and we can't find the people to fill them because nobody can afford to live in those communities. So when we talk about the housing crisis, I would say it, it clearly is a national problem. However, some places, and Saskatchewan is one of them, that isn't feeling the crunch quite the same as Metro Toronto, as the example that you, you gave. How dire is this situation uh, that we're facing across the country? Yeah, it's gotten pretty dire that it's you know kind of gone across the country kind of like a wave. So if you and I were talking 15 years ago, you know, it would be a, a Toronto and Vancouver issue, and, and that would be about it. But what we've seen over the past few years is a lot of folks move out of those centers into a, a lot of secondary centers. So my hometown of London, Ontario, uh, you know, started to get really expensive around 2016, 2017. During the pandemic, we had a lot of folks move out to Atlanta, Canada, and now, you know, Halifax, uh, most of Nova Scotia has gotten really expensive. So now, you know, 20 years ago, we had a handful of places that were expensive and most places were fine. Now Canada is the opposite, where we have a few places that are still relatively affordable, 
but most of the country is is having a, a housing shortage and a housing crisis. You know, when we think about the different ways in which this housing crisis is happening, is there a certain sector of the population that that you're finding is hit most hard by this? Yeah, I, I think it's uh, mostly young Canadians uh, who either rent or are basically being blocked out of the housing market because they can't uh, they can't afford uh, the down payment or they can't qualify for a mortgage. And newcomers to Canada uh, that uh, you know, new Canadians, new new immigrants, and so on that they just don't have the savings and they're they're buying uh, into a market that's so high and they might not you know be able to get that kind of parental help that uh, so so many of us have had to rely on over the last uh, 20 years. So, yeah, it's really affecting young Canadians more than most, but we also have a, a cohort of people who bought in the last five years. We're getting really hit by these interest rate hikes and, and you know, finding that when their mortgages roll over, they owe an extra 1000 or $2,000 a month, you know, money that they don't necessarily have. Dr. Mike Moffitt is my guest this morning, who is Senior Director of Policy and Innovation at the Smart Prosperity Institute, also Assistant Professor at Western University's Ivy Business School. Uh, so, you know, I, I saw an interview that you did once where you gave your own personal kind of story on buying your first home versus buying, you know, the home that you're in now. And I think about that too. My you know, the home that my parents bought, for example, versus what I paid versus my children, this is becoming generationally more challenging for sure. Have we faced a housing crisis like this or similar in magnitude in the past? Yeah, I think the only situation like this would be at the end of World War II. Uh, and, and there's kind of similar echoes to today that uh, after World War II, we hadn't really built a lot of housing in, in Canada for about uh, 15 years, because partly because of the war, but you know the, the depression beforehand that construction had just dried up. Coupled with really rapid population growth, that uh, we had all the returning veterans, but we also had uh, newcomers from war-torn Europe uh, coming and settling in Canada. So. You know, that's, I would say, that the closest to the crisis we have now. And I, I think we can look to some of those solutions that we used in the 1940s and 50s to help uh, address some of these problems. So what were some of those solutions that were used back then, Mike, and, and might still be valuable to help us see our way through this today? Well, one of the things that the federal government did is reintroduce what they call a uh, pre-approved catalog of housing design. So you can think of it like literally like, like a catalog of blueprints. And what this does is it speeds up the construction process. So you can say, okay, I want, you know, uh, home type number 23. Uh, you're already fast-tracked through a bunch of approvals processes. You're not having to pay uh, architects and other designers to, to uh, design the, this home for you. You can really speed up the process. We had a lot of tax incentives uh, back then to uh, build apartment buildings. Uh, things like really wonky things like depreciation rates on, on new construction and so on, uh, that really built uh, a lot of great apartments back in the, back in the 1960s. You go to any downtown, uh, in Canada, see those, those big towers from the 60s, they were, were built with these incentives. So a lot of it is, you know, tax incentives, uh, you know, having more people go into the skilled trades. Uh, you know, some of these uh, approvals processes. And, and this is what makes it such a complicated issue, that there's no one single fix, but you have to kind of come at this through a variety of different angles and, and solve a bunch of interlocking problems. 
Mike Moffat is my guest, who is Senior Director of Policy and Innovation at Smart Prosperity Institute and has become a real advisor on the topic of housing and the housing crisis in Canada, has done work with the federal government, provincial governments, even municipalities. You know, I find it interesting on this topic. I saw an article yesterday in the Globe and Mail where Bank of Canada Governor Tiff Macklem says, hey, don't look at the interest rates to fix the housing crisis. It's not our fault. I feel like that tends to happen. And, and you know, maybe maybe there's some validity to it. I'm just pointing out the fact there's a lot of people, while people are scratching their head to find solutions, some are saying, look, I'm not the one that's going to be able to fix this problem. Who do you think needs to be involved in the fix? Well, I think it's uh, all levels of government. And that's kind of what got us into this problem in the, in the first place, is that no one level of government kind of has all of the tools necessary uh, to fix this. That the federal government, you know, through the Bank of Canada, does control interest rates. They do have some housing policy uh, through the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation and so on. Provincial governments set a lot of the, the, the rules around uh, land use decisions and, uh, you know, rental tribunals and a whole bunch of rules that way. And municipalities control zoning and, you know, all kinds of regulations that way. So, you know, no one order of government uh, can, can address this by itself or fix it. So it leads to a lot of finger pointing. Uh, we had a Federation of Canadian Municipalities meeting this week where, you know, they were pointing to the federal government and saying, you know, we're not getting enough infrastructure money and that's holding things up. So that's, it's a classic Canadian problem. It, it uh, you, you know, reminds me of, uh, you know, when a, when a, a ball falls between uh, two outfielders in baseball and they kind of look at each other going, okay, I thought this was your ball. It's kind of the same thing here that, you know, the governments really have <laughs> let this fly ball drop between them. So, Mike, when you're when you're meeting with uh, anyone from federal government to city officials, and they're looking for what changes can be made, do do you have to customize your answer, or is it a fairly standard answer and and a book of options, no matter whether you're in Saskatchewan, uh, Montreal, or Vancouver? Yeah, it is. Uh, so, you know, obviously federally, uh, it's a kind of a one-size-fits-all thing. But a lot of the work with municipalities is very, very different, even, even within Ontario. So, uh, for instance, uh, a London or a Guelph or a Kingston, you know, these sort of classic college towns, you know, they, they have a set of issues around uh, international students and growing enrollment and where do you house everyone. Whereas if I talk to a mayor from northern Ontario, it's it's more issues around you know how do we how do we get enough skilled tradespeople and you know how can we get building supplies up here? So you know real estate it really is location, location, location. So you know the, the solutions that that work in a Welf or, or Kingston you know might might not work in a waiver. But it's you know just a different set of problems. Mike Moffat, my guest. So I'm curious, we've only got a minute or two left here, but I'm curious to know uh, how much this problem relies on the entire scope of housing uh, to find solutions. So what I'm, what I'm meaning there is someone who's already been in a home for a while looking to upgrade and buy their second home versus you know, new Canadians that are looking for affordable housing, maybe even including seniors options for people that are moving out of owning their own home and into something a little bit smaller and downsizing. Uh, is it all working in, in tandem together? It, it needs to. And it's a really important point that uh, housing is a system. And if we can address one part of the system, we can actually fix other parts. 
Uh, so my, my parents uh, live in a four-bedroom home in, in London, Ontario, that was built in the 1980s. And their entire neighborhood is full of, of seniors in these really big homes, much more than they need. But I talk to my parents, and they say, well, look, we'd love to downsize, but there's really nowhere to go to. So if we can figure out how to create more housing for, for people like my parents in their late 70s, that could get them to downsize their home and uh, allow you know the next generation of families to move in. So absolutely, that housing is a system, and you know what, what happens on one side of the bathtub affects the water everywhere. So last question, and, and I realize it's a, it's a big one, but how has immigration and immigration policies in Canada affected what we are seeing today? It, it certainly has. Uh, uh, population growth is playing a role, and, and, and it's not the classic kind of immigration part. It's these kind of non-permanent programs, uh, so temporary foreign workers, international students, and so on. You know, not an issue everywhere in the country, but particularly in southern Ontario, we're seeing a lot of single-family homes get bought up by investors and, and turned into student rentals. Uh, you know, students need somewhere to live, but the fact that we've got record levels of really unplanned population growth is causing a lot of tensions, uh, particularly in southern Ontario. Mike, thanks so much for taking the time and joining us today. Appreciate your insight on this. No, oh, thank you for having me. Dr. Mike Moffat, Senior Director of Policy and Innovation at the Smate, uh, Smart Prosperity Institute, also Assistant Professor in the Business, Economics, and Public Policy Group at Western University's Ivy League School. Uh, some great ideas. You can read a lot of literature online that, that Mike has, has done work, and he has done work with municipalities, provincial governments, and the federal government to try and address this housing challenge as it is unfolding we're going to continue this conversation in fact we're going to go to the phone lines and get your thoughts next on 650 ckom and 980 cjme you know we talk about the housing crisis in canada in saskatchewan it is very unique to our province we don't have the issues that you would see in metro toronto or downtown vancouver for example but we still are going through housing challenges here there's no doubt about it anything from affordability especially affordability of new homes for new homeowners trying to scrape together that down payment with housing prices is quite challenging dr mike moffitt was just my guest who does a lot of work on this and spends time advising federal government provincial governments even local municipalities on housing and housing solutions he is at Western University's Ivy Business School, assistant professor there, and just joined me now. Actually talked about and referred to what we did after the war, World War II. Remember a bunch of those wartime homes were built? You see them in areas. Saskatooners have got them. Regina's got them. Pre-approved packages for quick, easy-to-assemble homes as an affordability measure. That's something that maybe we need to come back to. And so we're going to open up the phone lines. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Where do you think the primary responsibility lies when it comes to the current housing challenges in Canada? one 332 8255 for the next half hour. Phone lines are open. Text lines are open. We're talking housing and housing challenges. Love to hear from you right here on 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. Good morning and thanks so much for joining us. I'm Evan Bray. Just heard the teachers announce that, yes, even Friday this week, there will be continuing job action. We knew that it was happening all week up until Friday. This morning, we hear more 
about what's happening on Friday. We're going to talk about teachers, job action, and where your support lies coming up just after 11 o'clock. So hold those thoughts. Lots of time to chat about that and hear your thoughts. We'll be doing uh, calls and texts on that as well. Right now, though, I'm interested in talking about housing. We had Dr. Mike Moffat on, who is an assistant professor in the Business, Economics, and Public Policy Group at Western University's Ivy Business School. He has been used as a consultant for many different layers of government in Canada, trying to address the housing crisis and the housing shortage and the challenges that we're seeing. And I'm very curious to know what you think. The primary responsibility, where does it lie? When it comes to the current housing crisis in Canada, one 332 8255 Phone lines are open for you because it really is depending on where you are in Canada as to how you view the housing crisis. You know, he talked about when we were chatting with Mike Moffat, he talked about the pressure that non-permanent workers and international students place on housing. Well, in Saskatchewan, I'm not going to say non-permanent workers are not an issue, but I know a lot of businesses who are bringing people over to work on a temporary basis who already are taking care of getting the housing situation set up and looked after. Whereas some big companies, and we heard a couple of stories coming out of the East, they were bringing people over without any guarantee of housing, and they're scrambling to try and find a place to live. 1-877-332-8255. Where do you see the primary responsibility lying when it comes to the current housing crisis in Canada? Is it housing policy that we need to see from the federal government? They have right now put out, of course, that housing accelerator fund, incentive programs. They're working in many cases directly with cities in Canada, almost bypassing provinces. We are seeing the provincial government, certainly in our province, doing things to try and and rectify the situation, things like having the secondary suite incentive program where there's grants available, there's tax breaks available. Uh, they have a tax credit for people that are looking at low-income housing. So there's a lot of work provincially that is being done. And then, of course, within cities, we're talking about zoning bylaws and and things like that. And this doesn't even get into immigration in Canada and how that has impacted our our housing market. So 1-877-332-8255. I'd love to hear from you what you think. Some someone texted in said you can go on Amazon and buy a tiny home for $20,000. Would you do that? Would you buy a tiny home for $20,000? Other text here as a realtor in the city with the biggest challenge or the biggest challenge that I run into in Saskatoon is that builders build $450,000 plus homes. That's no basement, no yard, no fence completed. So people who don't qualify are now competing over condominiums. And the problem with condos is most of those are two-bedroom. So trying to get a family home that they can afford with a yard and the right number of bedrooms is a pretty shrinking pool of properties. With a super low inventory, it's simply pushing people out of the option to purchase. So not a lot of homeowners, and this is, you know, Mike Moffat talked about this, these you know, wartime homes that were built right after World War II. Regina has them, Saskatoon has them, and they were very much from, I think as he put it, like a pre-approved catalog of housing designs. So you could shop for your house in a catalog of options. Here's six different house designs you can have, uh, two-bedroom, three-bedroom, maybe even four-bedroom homes. Most of them built back those wartime homes, though, were quite small. You pick the package and you build it. 
So as the realtor who texted in is saying, we're not talking about building a $500,000 home. Something smaller and more affordable yet allows first-time homeowners, new Canadians with families, even if they're being built as rental properties, they are being built in a way that they serve the needs of the family and not trying to cram into a two-bedroom home and driving the condo market with limited resources there. The housing crisis is, is a thing. There's no doubt about it. The question is, what's the problem? And who do we look at? And how do we handle this? Where does the primary responsibility lie with the current housing crisis in Canada? I'm going to go to Lauren, who's on the road this morning. Thanks for calling in, Lauren. How do you see this playing out? Well, it's uh, you know it's a pretty simple concept, that, Evan, when you look at it. We're overbuilding. We're overpricing the homes that we're building for the average person to, to move into a home. Our projects fall under the municipality uh, regulations. The one project falls under federal, provincial, and municipality. Right. We've been working with the municipality. We're not asking for any services from the municipality. We're not asking for uh, subdivisions or any of that. We, we provide a, a, a site for a 35-year lease with minimum down payment, giving them a 1,000 to 1,500-square-foot home. For less than for less than two hundred and twenty thousand dollars a month over thirty five years, mm-hmm. or two hundred twenty five thousand dollars over thirty five years, it's the, with the maintenance cost, taxes, everything involved in the in the maintenance of the property, for less than a thousand dollars a month. So, and these properties can be built built in thirty days, and they're they've got all the nice appliances, they got all the 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 fancy stuff that these four hundred and fifty thousand dollar homes out. And it, it's the municipalities that are that are causing the delays. How are they doing that, Lauren? How are they How are they providing roadblocks? Just the it's just the, the the requirements for the applications. And the one property, it's a redesignation application from agriculture land that can't be used to a residential commercial property. So they give you a list of of, of guidelines to follow. So you follow them and you submit them, and then they send it back and say, no, that's not good enough. And now there's another list and another list. And if this, they, we don't even get a chance to, to, to have the reviews in person. The planners and the engineers are all working from home in the most cases. You can't get a hold of them. And, you know, they're supposed to respond in 30 days. They take, they take up to six months to respond. And there's nothing you can do about it. They just, if you, if you complain about it, they put your file on the bottom of the bottom of the pile and you start all over again you know lauren lauren's not the first person to bring this up red tape and hoops that have to be jumped through when it comes to doing land development in our cities i'm i've never been in that business i've never you know been been a person who's been involved in land development but i've got a couple of buddies who are and it is it drives them crazy the the red tape the hoops the everything application process to do to stand up and build whether it's new homes develop an area whatever the case may be even infills in an older area when you're looking to build in an older area you'd think those would be good things and i know often cities are really promoting that and yet the the logistics of making it happen uh the bureaucracy of it can be very, very challenging. one 332 8255 I'm going to go to Jack now on the road. And, and you think our scope of how we're looking at this issue is too narrow, too small, Jack? I do. I think you have to take a world perspective of, 
how people, by and large, live in the rest of the world. They've learned a long time ago you can't afford a freestanding house. They live in multi-building, dwelling houses, apartments, condominiums. When we look at the people that are coming to this country, in my view, the largest percentage of them come from not freestanding homes. They come from multi-structured housing. They're not expecting a freestanding home. On top of that, when we talk about these cookie-cutter houses that we built in the after the Second World War, it doesn't work now because after the Second World War, the expendable uh, allowance that you made as a salary by and large went to your home. You didn't have a car. You didn't have two cars. Mm-hmm. You didn't have a television that cost you $100 a month to get the programs or a cell phone that cost you $100 to get the programs or you know, kids going to hockey that cost you $1,500 dollars $200,000. Our expenditure now goes way beyond what it did at that era, which went primarily to their home. So it's not realistic to think that we can go back to this single-family home again. We need to... The cities sprawl out. Your infrastructure problem can't... You can't afford it. It, 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 It's a dream that I think is beyond us in this particular time because the answer seems to be most people, and even though they're experts and they know a lot more than I do, but they say the government should be doing more about this or the municipalities. They don't have the tax revenue to be able to do that. The Mm -hmm. servicing of a sprawling city costs a fortune. You have to concentrate it more. Interesting stuff. Boy, Jack, a couple good points there. As he's talking, I'm thinking, why can't we know the good old days are happening when we're living through them? <laughs> we, I've heard that question asked before, and he talked about, you know, when those wartime homes were being built, it was a simpler time. And the bulk of your expense went to your home and feeding your family. And now we're pulled in so many directions. We've got our, our pocketbook spread so thin to cover other expenses. I, I mean, there's some great points that Jack made there. So what do you think? Where does the primary responsibility lie with the current housing crisis in Canada? So some texters that are, are texting in are saying, look, you know, immigration is great, but when it's done in a, in a manageable way and the way it's been handled in Canada, well, texters are very, very critical of it. And keep in mind, that Canada's annual immigration is still, even with some current limitations that have been put on, is still one of the highest rates per population in any country in the world. This is immigration. This is an influx of international students. It absolutely contributes to the factor of what we're seeing with escalating housing challenges in, in Canada. And that's not, you know... To me, it's not about pointing fingers. I mean, new Canadians are welcome. Immigration is an important part of our economy. There's no doubt about it. But when those gates are open too wide, and they're open so wide for so long that whether it's housing, whether it's healthcare, whether it's education, it doesn't matter which one you're talking about, they're going through crisis. That can be part of the problem. one 332 8255 Love to hear from you on this. Phone lines are still uh, ringing. We got lots of people wanting to weigh in on this. I'm going to go now to Jack. Oh, no, sorry. We got Jack already. I'm going to grab Kathy here before we uh, take a break. Kathy in Saskatoon. What are your thoughts, Kathy? Where do we need to focus our, our efforts when it comes to dealing with this housing crisis? I think we have to, the government has to step in and and uh, we also have to raise the benefits for some seniors and people so they can have affordable housing. And we need 
We need affordable housing. I pay eight seventy five a month, and I can't if I move. I can't move because because the rents are so high, and and we need affordable housing. And also, we need affordable housing for people with disabilities. For sure, we do. And uh, Kathy, I appreciate you bringing up the the seniors part of the housing discussion because we talked about that with Mike Moffat when he was on the phone. I said, you know, we have an aging population, and so baby boomers, our parents, are now looking to move out of those bigger homes that you and I were likely raised in and move into something smaller, downsize a little bit. But if the market doesn't allow for that, then they aren't moving, which means first-time homeowners that are looking to step up into a bigger home have a small market, which means new homeowner, right? It's it's a domino effect and I can trace it all the way all the way back. 18773328255. Let's take a quick break. I've got uh, Wayne in Saskatoon. You will be my first caller when we come out of the break and still some text to get to as well on your thoughts where the primary responsibility lies with the current housing situation in Canada. You're listening to 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. Something to see, baby. We're talking housing and some of the housing challenges that we see in the province. Mike Moffat was my guest, who is an assistant professor at Western University's Ivy Business School, talking about some of the solutions he sees. People are texting in saying, some saying they absolutely love listening to Mike talk about housing. Betty Lou in Regina said, it's nice to hear someone who knows what he's talking about. James in Regina, a little more critical. He says, I'm a bit skeptical of your guest on housing. They fail to recognize, of course, all the fees that come into, you know, licensing, taxing, fees for a new house, those types of things. Basically telling me I need to challenge my guest on some of those. Don't forget, Mike Moffat doesn't work for the federal government or the provincial government. He's just a guy who, like you and I, are here today trying to talk about how do we find our way through this housing crisis that is happening? I want to go to Wayne in Saskatoon. Thanks for hanging on, Wayne. What are your thoughts? Where does the primary responsibility lie with some of these housing problems? Well, I'm going to lay it right on the Bank of Canada, Evan. And to hear the the, the Bank of Canada CEO, whatever his name is, talk, oh, interest rates aren't the problem. He's making $7 million a year, and he cranked the interest rates up. He can afford it. Most people can't. Yeah, Tiff, Tiff Macklem is who you're talking about, who yeah, came out and said, don't look at us. We're not the problem. He is. Two situations. I know both families personally. Family number one got their mortgage when the interest rates are really, really low. If you don't remember, you know, it was like a 1%. Yes, of course. Well, now to renew, it's about no less than 5 8%, They can't. They're selling their house and hope for the best. The other family is in a different situation, Evan. I know them. They're a very young family, two kids. They uh, can't afford a mortgage because of the interest rates. So how can that jack ass house? Yeah, you, you're, you're, I know where you're going, Wayne. I'm, 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 I'm hearing what you're saying, and the interest rates absolutely, uh, they, they do play a part in it. There's no, there's no way we can say that they don't. The problem goes perhaps beyond interest rates, because there's so many moving parts. I want to grab Mel now in Saskatoon. What are your thoughts on this topic, Mel? Uh, good morning, Evan. Uh, thanks for taking my call. First of all, um, I'm a renter, and my rent's gone sky high. And uh, with this, my rent being so high, how can I save up for a down payment to buy a condo or even a house? Pretty tough. 
It's like you can't do it. There's no way. So how can families get a get a mortgage if they can't even afford a down payment on a house? They can't. So like it's impossible. You, they, you can buy, you can build a million houses. If nobody can move into them, what good are they going to do? Yeah. So it's it's affordability that's at the heart of it. Who has the responsibility to try and bring that affordability within reach? The government, naturally. Like, oh God, uh, they're they're up, they're taxing people to death mm-hmm. for one, and um, they're upping prices like on food and gas and everything that people can't even afford to. Pay for clothes, even, Evan. So, yeah, I mean, we're talking, yeah, so Mel's point is the affordability goes far beyond housing, but it impacts housing, right? If we're having a tough time putting food on the table and clothes on our back, then it stands to reason that we're going to have a tough time affording housing. Got a couple of texters that text in to say it really comes down to finding a way to Live in the place you can afford to live. People saying, you know what, we're hearing about all the problems down east. Well, affordability is not the same in Saskatchewan. Why wouldn't you look at coming out here, getting a job out here? Don texted in as well. He says, I've had numerous rental properties in Regina. I only have one remaining, and it's due to the high property taxes and other costs. As well, the province has changed some regulations which favor tenants and not the property owner. The risk is too high. I've been the home provider and in that business for almost 20 years, and now he's stepping out of it. Some people mentioning carbon tax comes into play. Lots of moving pieces when it comes to housing costs and the challenge with housing, and I appreciate everyone who has weighed in through the text line and by phoning in as well. We're going to switch gears now before teachers. I told you we're going to talk teachers at 11 o'clock, but there's a, there's a first time big hockey tournament that is being stood up in our province. We're going to talk about that next with a former NHL star who's involved in the planning. You're listening to 980 CJME and 650 CKOM.